Welcome. You have found us. This is the Riot Underground. This is where we get to meet and speak with the instigators that are changing the world with disruptive technology. I'm excited to have Tad Scarpelli in our virtual studio today. Tad, welcome to the program. Thanks, Tom. Good to have you. Uh, you are founder of Field Theory. Tell our audience a little bit about what Field Theory is and, and uh, kind of what your day-to-day -day looks like, just so that they get a feel for who we're talking to. Uh, field theory is an antenna design, and we do custom, semi-custom, and off-the-shelf antenna designs. We also provide our clients uh, RF solutions from anything from uh, any of the filters, layouts, or, or, or um, you know, LNAs, or, or anything else RF-related. Wonderful. And before we dig into that, that's a, a, a very important uh area of tech right now as everything is getting connected to the internet but uh, to give our audience a little bit of a visual as they're listening along uh, we'd like to ask our guests you know if somebody had a chance to uh, play you in the future biopic or, or documentary about field theory and you got to be the casting director who would you want uh, to to have in that image as of creating this great company so that, that's actually a funny one. Um, we've listened to a lot of your podcasts and we heard you ask that question several times. And uh, it became quite the, uh, the meme this week at, at the office. Um, and the consensus, and I can't say I can shy too much away from it, uh, is uh, the, the team was basically telling me that I'm like Jason Bateman. Um, just his whole persona and kind of sarcastic and uh, laissez-faire type of attitude, I guess. Fantastic. Yeah. Not the crazy one. one at the Ozarks, though, my dad. So there you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, uh, I like the Arrested Development, Jason, uh, quite, quite a bit. But um, yeah, I was going to ask if you were hiding money in the walls or not, but I guess uh, we, we won't go there. Uh, no, th thanks again. That, that's great. Uh, appreciate being on the program. Uh, I think you know, founding an organization in, in the same way that Bateman has incredible acting range and can do drama and he can do comedy and he can do kind of across the the range of things, uh, you know, a founder needs to have a whole lot of different skills and I'm sure you get involved in a lot of different areas of the business. But what's super exciting about the space that you're in right now, as I mentioned before, is, you know, everything is connected. Uh, there are antennas and a whole lot more stuff than I imagine the, uh, the average person even, even knows about or understands. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of what's happening in the market and, and what kind of new and interesting applications you're seeing. Well, I mean, IoT has really just exploded over the last, uh, you know, 10 years or so, as everyone knows. Um, and without it, I'm not sure how plausible companies like Field Theory would be um, when you have all these big guys out there that were dominating everything. Um, the things that we've seen that are exciting are all these small products that need a lot of antennas in it, which is very, very complicated. And uh, that's where we started developing um you know, these, these semi-custom designs where we've done research here up front uh, on all sorts of different sizes. And um, that research has then led us to allow to iterate quickly uh, just for the market. Um, a lot of other things that we're really getting heavily involved with right now would be phased array systems and research work for either government projects or uh, even some colleges in that regard. Art, how often are you seeing that devices are truly like, you know, multi-spectral, many different frequencies, many different radios versus, you know, just a single radio in a device. 
Well, you know, when IoT came out, it was really about that single radio, right? It would be like the BLE beacons or, or something like that. It was just that one BLE radio. Uh, but even now, the BLE beacons have, have, have broadened to include some sort of LoRa radio or uh, GPS or, or something like this that would be, you know, take it to the next level. And those are the ones where, you know, the coexistence of those antennas becomes quite complex. Um, so we are seeing that ramp up quite a bit nowadays as the evolution has come forward. That's really interesting. And are you seeing a lot of uh, implementation of diversity antennas or other kind of multi-antenna solutions even within a single radio band? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, for many years uh, in the past, you know, LTE was kind of straightforward, right, where people just wanted that one main antenna. Um, for whatever reason, maybe it's a low data rate or something like this. And, uh, but now over the last three, four years, we've really ramped up to doing heavy MIMO solutions for uh, LTE as well as Wi-Fi. Um, and we're kind of curious now to see where things are gonna head with these uh, multi uh, type of different uh, systems at 900 megahertz, like whether it be the Helium or the Sidewalk from Amazon or just a plain LoRa or Z-Wave stuff. Um, you're having to cram all those type of antennas all in one device also and figure out how to get those to work uh, from a coexistence standpoint. So yeah, multi, multi uh, uh, MIMO solutions are definitely uh, on the forefront. Fantastic. And, and certainly for, uh, for those small devices uh, at the lower frequencies, antennas can be really challenging for anyone there's a little bit about uh, antenna theory and, and size and wavelength and stuff, but talk about the other end of the spectrum. You know, there's a lot of 5G millimeter wave, other kinds of things. Uh, what, what are the biggest challenges in that space? Oh, boy. Um, well, the 5G, depending on which frequency bands we're talking about, uh, you know, there's different problems that come into play. Um, we are finishing up right now a project for a company that's, that's, that does both ends, where we're looking at, uh, you know, the sub-6 gig uh, 5G type of stuff, as well as 28 gigahertz, um, and coming up with platform designs for them. Um, and just the sheer difference in how we can do it with their special material. Um, that there's, there's a lot of different design uh, approaches we have to take for each one of them. Um, what those approaches are, not gonna tell you that. <laughs> well, that's why people can, uh, can reach out and learn more and uh, hopefully collaborate, right? Right. That's wonderful. Um, so uh, yeah, share a little bit of me about your background, if you don't mind. How did you you get into this space? Uh, what, what's been your journey uh, that, that led you to realize, you know what? Um, there's not a great solution out there. I need to found a company. Uh, well, I'm not sure the company really got that way, but it, um, the uh, I mean, my history is is you know uh, after high school, I got in. Uh, I was I served in the military for five, five years. Um, and with that, I got heavily involved in weapon systems and ordnance and all that fun stuff um, that someone in the military would be doing. And um, I learned about guidance systems there. Um, was curious about it, but didn't really know too much about it when I was there. <clears throat> I came out of college uh, or out of, the, out of the service wanting to focus on a double E. And as I was in school, I learned more and more about RF and got very intrigued by it. And being the hands-on person that I am, uh, very mechanically inclined. I, I found antennas and RF to be right up my alley because it requires a lot of hands-on work um, with you know tweaking the antennas and making prototypes and all that. Um, and through my years at Motorola, um, 
you know, I, I developed the, uh, the very first uh, Motorola Razor uh, antenna system that was in that phone back in 2003, 2004. Um, that was very complicated back then because there was no baseline to work off of, of an internal quad band antenna. Um, we, we had to create it from the ground up. And, um, and I just really found I excelled at it. So I latched onto it. And uh, after, I don't know, eight, 10 years with Motorola, I decided to go off on my own and the consulting company came to me. I didn't go to it, meaning people started calling me when they found out that I was no longer at Motorola and they just kept calling us and, and, and calling me, I should say, and um, constantly reaching out and asking them to help them out with their projects. And it's now evolved into something that uh, we sit here today where we're, we're heavily involved not only with our own with designing products for many companies every year. Um, but uh, we also now are in heavily into the manufacturing side of it. So, yeah, it's really, really interesting. We, as you know, run a startup accelerator and are frequently helping founders to do that customer discovery to look for the market pull. Uh, yeah. It sounds like the market pull came right to you. You know that market need was clearly there, and um, so uh, maybe I think it was the right time. Yeah, it was the right time to right because IoT was taking off, and you know, I it, like I said, I just kind of stepped into that arena. So. Yeah, yeah. Is there, is there a good, uh, has anybody written a book yet or, or about that first Razor project? I was actually working in mobile myself at that time. Right. And the architecture of that phone and kind of changing the fundamental building blocks of how a phone was put together was so radically different in that phone. It was tr truly changed the entire industry. Well, you know, back then, um, the, the powers that be in RF swore to, sort of you know that you could never put the uh the main gsm antenna next to a polyphonic speaker a, a usb micro usb connector the microphone um, and and more importantly the bluetooth antenna they, they said that you could never get those to coexist together especially all all of those things um and then on top of that putting in on a, a metal housing that's about what 85 percent all metal um yeah. so i mean we were really fighting an uphill battle on that one and, and how we, we, we innovated. Uh, but um, the funny story about it is, and if you, know, if, you, if you do a Google search, you'll find an article that came out from Fortune Magazine back then called Razor's Edge. Um, my uh, director, Roger Jellicoe, uh, basically got about a handful of us uh, antenna engineers in a room and he threw the project on the table and said, you guys have two weeks to figure out how to put a quad band antenna in that. I think everyone's mouth hit the floor in that room at the time. Um, but uh, within four or five days, I had a very workable solution and that's what happened. Um, but I mean, that, that's just kind of how that all came to be, I guess. It's fantastic. I, I can say from insider experience that uh, at Ericsson, where, where I was at the time and Sony, Sony oh, after, yeah. we, um, yeah, yeah, that was the thing that opened our eyes to the idea that, you know, everything was trying to get smaller and smaller. Right. And antennas needed space, right? Because the antenna needs some distance from the other things around it to not have interference. And then speakers needed a lot of space to create acoustic volume. And that was the kind of design, as I recall, that helped us to really think about having the acoustic volume and the antenna volume share the same, the same space. And it, right. was, uh, it was really nice. Yeah. Well, the problem that came out of that, we, we were under the same mindset. It made sense for them to share space to squeeze the, the air out of the product to make it smaller. Um, and uh, the biggest issue we found, though, was the coil. The coil inside the polyphonic speaker happened to be resonant 900 megahertz on some. Um, so we had to come up with ways to isolate that. 
Yeah. Uh, and if you've opened up a razor, you would see what I did with some chokes and a couple of bypass caps. But um, anyway, uh, there, there are some other tricks we did to the speaker that uh, I'll keep it keep close to my chest. But um, anyway, as far as books go, no, no, one of my old bosses reached out to me because he thought it was time to make a book, but I don't think anything came of it. But there were lots of articles and, and uh, things that we did, like in the Fortune magazine. We also had a Time magazine spot, uh, but that's all archive stuff. As far as yeah. how it really came to be, no, I don't think anyone ever sat down and did it. Yeah, yeah, no, and and I don't want to dwell too much on the Motorola story here. We're really here to, to, to hear the field theory story, but but it, yeah, it was a fascinating time, and and some of the the really innovative kind of skunk works things that were going on, uh, I'm sure will be a fascinating story one day and and we'll see jason bateman uh, play you in that biopic as well um but but in the meantime kind of getting back to, to to the field theory story like where where are you seeing the most innovation today like is there a particular sector maybe it is the government maybe it's dod uh that's really pushing the envelope in antenna development i i think it's going to come out of the 5g arena um, but I think the government sector is probably going to lead it uh, from what I'm looking at right now. Um, and, and a lot of it is going to be about the array systems and, and how we are going to integrate those. And then even more importantly, how are we going to make those things fit in, inside real product? Uh, because as you know, the, the arrays just make the antennas that much bigger. Um, plus the complexity of controlling the array also comes into play. Um, so if we have to get into some sort of, uh, for 5G, uh, high millimeter wave stuff, um, getting into arrays and beam forming and all that, this, the products are going to get a little, very complex really quick. Um, and I have a hard time seeing, right now a lot of it's been, uh, being pushed as an off-the-shelf type of solution. Um, I think that'll be a good entry point, but I, I do see also it's going to have to get towards the semi-custom to custom uh, over time. Yeah. And we've, we've prepared ourselves here. We've got chambers and, and uh, the equipment to, to be able to do all that testing and, and development in-house. Yeah, you, you mentioned manufacturing earlier. What, what drove you towards a little bit more vertical integration? It just seemed to make sense. Um, we knew we could uh, take our designs and make them have more quality behind them with us standing behind it. Um, plus, we also found that we could actually drive the cost down more, um, given that we would be able to, uh, you know, monopolize on, on lots of material versus just, you know, giving the design to this client and letting him go and figure it out. And then, you know, he just can't get the, the quantities of scale. Uh, so that's what we found is with quantities of scale, we could make it work better. That makes sense. Uh, you, of course, can't do everything. And there's a lot of partnership in the design world, design space kind of. But how do most of the, the folks that work with you engage? Do they just reach out to directly? And if so, how? Or, you know, do they come through with another partner that may, maybe is doing, you know, the circuit board design and then they bring you in for your special expertise? Kind of, kind of what, what's a typical engagement look like? You know, it, it, it kind of comes from all angles. Um, a lot of our clients do find us uh, through, you know, a search online. Uh, and then they go to our website and they fill out the, uh, the form there. And that goes directly to me. Um, I go through it, I forward it over to Eunice, and then we get the ball rolling. Um, but a lot of other times, it is just word of mouth. People call us directly and say, uh, you know, we heard about you, so-and-so introduced us, and, and we get going. Other times, um, it is what you were saying about where there's other 
firms out there that are, are knee deep involved with, you know, maybe they're layout guys or, or firmware guys or whatever firms, and um, they know about us. They know they're, they're that product that they're trying to get on the market is having RF issues or antenna issues. Then they reach out to us and we help them solve the problem. So it does come in from many different angles of how we how we get engaged with clients. How about timing? Do, you, do, do most people know that the antenna design is one of the very first things you need to design around or do you do a lot of triage? Uh, it's 50-50. Some, a lot of people still nowadays still see that the, uh, you know, they think they can just grab uh, an off the shelf antenna, drop it in their product and it's going to work per that data sheet. And then they find out on the later end that it's not. And then it becomes a fire drill for us to get it fixed. Um, but there, I'd say the rest of the clients that have been doing it for a little bit longer in life, uh, they know to call us right out of the gate. And as the idea is getting defined, we get involved and we get it into our simulation system and we help guide the ID and the mechanical stack up to make sure that the antennas can be optimized for, for peak performance. That's really interesting. Um, again, from my past, the, the projects that tended to do the best in the market were the ones uh, when we were developing a new phone, just for a mobile phone product, where at the very, very earliest concept stage, we limited the team just to an industrial designer, a mechanical engineer, and an antenna engineer. Um, yeah. Every discipline wanted to be involved really, really early to kind of you know stake their territory and, and their requirements. But when we limited to just those three disciplines, we tended to make the things that were the most compelling for the market, where industrial design really understood what the operators wanted and had the performance at work because uh, mechanics and and uh, and the antenna tended to be the next two most important things. Uh, all the chipsets were the same across the industry and, and so on. The, re the rest was just kind of work to be done. No, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I mean, a chipset's a chipset, right? You put it on the board, you connect the dots for the yeah. reference. Um, and I, I would agree with that 100%. When we did Razor, that was exactly the, the, uh, the setup that Roger set up for us. Uh, and... Uh, you saw how successful that product turned out. Yeah, absolutely. So what is the best way for those who are listening and saying, you know, I, I hear a lot of the words that they're talking about. I don't know exactly what it means, but I know that I need that expertise. Like what's the best way to, to find you and to reach you? Um, our website is the best place, uh, fieldtheoryinc.com. Um, you can also just, you know, Google myself or, or Field Theory and uh, we should be one of the top hits. Um, go read through our information. Uh, understand what it is we do. And, and if you don't, whether you understand or not, uh, fill out the, the, uh, the contact us uh, page and we'll get back to you within 24 hours usually. Wonderful. Is there any advice that you give uh, maybe a young person who's thinking about kind of moving into this field or moving into this industry? Call me. I'd like to, I, I, I'm always willing to help. Them. Uh, we've got several internship programs here we do. Uh, one of them would be uh, last summer, for example, We've reached out to several high schools in the area and we're trying to encourage high school students to go engineering, not necessarily RF, but we've opened our doors to these, these young uh, adults uh, and provided them a vast knowledge of what uh, you know, a startup could even look like for them. We have them talk with our, our attorneys, we, our accountants. They, they work with our, our marketing people and they're back here in the lab working with the engineers and up in the front working with uh, you know, uh, the people up there. And um, so we really open our doors to give them a really idea, a really good idea of how uh, a small business can run 
and what they would need to do to, to fit those shoes if they wanted to go that route. Uh, but even more so, these engineers, we're trying to encourage those students to go STEM of some sort, get into the engineering field. It's, it's a very good field and it's, it's, you know, well pays well and it's not a bad life. Um, we also have had college in, uh, interns in here. Uh, we, we teach them heavily. And the number one thing I'm going to tell any double E engineer, I don't care if it's RF or anything, learn how to solder. If you can't solder, you can't do your job. And that's one of the number one things, even with the high school students, they sit the first two weeks they're here, they do nothing but sit at a solder station and learn how to solder O201s and O402s. And by the end of the summer, they got it down. Yep. And, and are they getting down to the O1005s as well? Uh, I don't even touch those things. I wouldn't <laughs> don't even touch them. Yep. <laughs> no worry. No, that's uh, great advice. And it is, uh, you know, a huge growth industry. There's really nothing being made anymore that's not wireless. So there's antennas everywhere. Um, as we close out, kind of looking forward, what are you kind of the most excited about right now as it intersects your industry? We're getting pretty amped about what's coming up in millimeter wave, uh, whether you call it 5G or whatever. Um, we're getting pretty amped up about that because it's it's really cool technology. We can get uh, that that uh, myself and our, our PhD and 10 engineers uh, are, are very adept to. Um, so that that's probably the area because it's new, right? It's not something that you're used. We, we can almost grind out an LTE, uh, a MIMO LTE antenna uh, in our sleep nowadays. But um, but these new uh, phased array systems, those are just cool and it'd be a lot more fun to get more into those as well. Wonderful. Well, thanks, Tad, for being on the program. We've really enjoyed having you and uh, look forward to, to bringing you back again in a couple of years to hear that, you know, all that 5G millimeter wave stuff is kind of becoming uh, run of the mill and I'm sure there's going to be something new in its place. Thanks for having me. Hi, y'all. Caroline Griffin here, dropping in to say thanks for listening. And if you have any questions for Riot, send me a note. You may reach me at caroline at riot.org. This Riot Underground podcast is created and produced by Riot Studios with music by Scott Jackson. Riot is a nonprofit focused on economic development through the Internet of Things or IoT. We produce events, conferences, and educational courses around the world. And we run an early stage startup accelerator out of Riot Labs in Raleigh, North Carolina. Our nonprofit also operates a wireless test and certification facility under the Wireless Research Center brand. Learn how to engage by visiting us at riot.org.